so a theme of the book of Hebrews is the reality that God is speaking today. God is speaking today. Can I get an amen? God is speaking loudly today in our world. Can you hear him? That's the question. Can you hear God speaking to you? Twitter is pretty loud. Certain tweets are really loud in our lives. Facebook can be really noisy. Can I get a witness? Our screens can be really loud. Our computer screens, our TV screens, our phone screens can be loud. They demand our time. Phone calls. Political phone calls and political text messages can be really loud this time of year. Can you hear God? God speaks loudly. And praise the Lord, He speaks more loudly than all the noise of this world. The world is pretty noisy, right? There's a lot of noise in our lives every day. So to hear God's voice... To hear him speaking to us is really important. And that's why I'm so excited to be in Hebrews, because Hebrews is all about God speaking to our hearts and minds. It's a powerful book, and I'm praying that by God's grace, you'll understand it more, you'll get introduced. For some of you, this is the first time you've ever been in this book called Hebrews, and it's going to be like all new. It's really exciting. For some of you, this is the hundredth time you've been through the book, and I'm praying that God might even revive it in your heart. So what is this whole letter of Hebrews all about? Anyway, let's give some quick background and then go into the message. First of all, who's the author? Who wrote this letter called Hebrews? Anyway, some people think the apostle Paul wrote it because there's a lot of stylistic similarities between Paul and the letter to Hebrews. There's a lot of similar things that Paul would say in his other letters that we find in Hebrews. Some people think it's Apollos. Apollos is the really eloquent speaker in the new church. He's the guy that travels around. He's the speaker that you really want to have at your church because Apollos can really put words together really well, and a lot of people think that he was a disciple of Paul, so therefore he probably maybe wrote the letter of Hebrews. Some people think it's Peter. Some people think Peter wrote this letter, and there are some pointers to Peter writing this letter because there's a lot of Old Testament connections to the temple, and Peter would be very well aware of those All right, when all is said and done, and when all the scholars and really smart people have written everything about Hebrews, here is the conclusion. We don't know. We have no idea. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, okay? So if you think you know who wrote Hebrews, you're wrong. You don't know. When was it written? It was written in AD 65 to 70, somewhere in there. Uh, This was just before the, the the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. So this was written to a whole bunch of individuals who would have been very familiar with the temple that was located in Jerusalem and how the temple operated. Um, Let's see, who was the letter written to? Well, the letter of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. That's really clever, right? Hebrew people, okay? So 
uh, you're going to have three different types of groups of Hebrew people that would receive this letter. One would be Hebrew Christians, people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've come out of Judaism into Christianity, and they are discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged in your life? Okay, you ever need someone to pick you up and encourage you in your Christianity? That would be these believers. They are persecuted, they are discouraged, and they are scattered east of Jerusalem, and, and it's an untold number. We don't know how many P Hebrews there are, but they believe in Jesus, and they need encouragement because they think they have just thrown their life away by believing in Christ. They have given up all of Judaism, and now they're walking into this new Christianity, and they're thinking, did I just waste my life? Did I just walk into the biggest mistake of my life by following Jesus Christ? Because they're experiencing persecution, they don't have the temple anymore, they don't have access to the priesthood anymore, and they're wondering, did I make a big mistake? So that's one group. Within that group, there's another group of people that understood the gospel, they understood Jesus, but they weren't sure that they believed yet. Okay, so they understood what Paul was saying, but they weren't sure that they were on board with what Paul was saying yet. So, does that sound familiar? It should. It sounds like American Christianity today, where there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of churches, a lot of Bible studies, a lot of online resources. There's a lot of people who know that Jesus died on a cross, but they're not sure if they really believe. That's a group that is addressed in this letter in chapter 2 and chapter 6 and chapter 10. And we'll get there when we get there, okay? And so the third group of Hebrews is those who don't understand Jesus nor believe. So these are people that are in the church. They don't know who Christ is. They're still trying to understand it, and they don't believe. Paul wrote to them in chapter 9. Did I just say Paul wrote to them? The author of Hebrews wrote to them in chapter 9. Okay, what is the theme of Hebrews? What's the theme? The theme is that Jesus is better Jesus is greater, Jesus is supreme, Jesus is superior, he is better than everybody and everything, amen? That's good, that's the theme. Jesus is, in modern vernacular, the greatest of all time, all right? And that is otherwise known in sports terms as the goat. Everybody in sports is always debating Who's the greatest athlete of all time? And I just had a debate over Christmas where I had to defend Michael Jeffrey Jordan as the greatest basketball player of all time with my foolish nephews <laughs> who think modern day basketball players are better. And I said, Jesus, or uh, Michael Jordan is the GOAT. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. No debates. Jesus is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. That's the theme of Hebrews. And so this is a beautiful thing. In these first two verses, you can see it. It says God spoke to our fathers. And then in verse 2, it says in these last days, he has spoken. So you see the grace of God already in the beginning of this letter. You see God speaking to the Old Testament people. And you see God speaking to us today. And this idea of God speaking to humanity is total and amazing grace, is it not? It's so good. This is Christianity. God speaks to us. 
And he says, the work has been done through my son. All you have to do is believe. And we as Christians, we love that message. We love the reality that God has done the work. Jesus has already done the work on the cross and he's, res- he's resurrected from the dead. And all you have to do is put your faith in Christ. That's great. That message is exactly the opposite of what the world spins your way. Think about it. The world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Islam, every, every, everything else, they all say the same thing. Go get it. Right? Um, go discover it. Earn it. Whatever it is in that religion, go get it, earn it, discover it, be it. Right? Uh, this is also true of modern secularism. So modern, secular America says the same thing. I had lunch a few years ago with a local Des Moines celebrity. Yes, be, in, be impressed that your pastor had lunch with a local Des Moines celebrity. I can't say who it was, but I sat down with him for lunch, and he was waxing on and on about all these things that he's really good at and all these things he does, and he's, you know, all over the place. And, and then he says, Josh, you know what you, you got to do? And I'm like, what do, you, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? He said, you got to go out and get it. You got to go get it. And I'm like, okay, and get my pen. Go get it. Go get it. <laughs> Modern secularism says, go get it, Americans. Go work hard. Go earn it. Go be it. Do it. Nike, just do it. God says something different. God says, I've already done it. Jesus has already done it. I've already spoken. I have come down from heaven to speak to you because you can't come up and get it. You can't get eternal life. You can't get heaven on your own. You're too sinful to find it. So God speaks to the Old Testament people and he speaks to us today in the New Testament and he says, I'm speaking now, I'm gracious and kind, I've already done it, just believe, amen? We as Christians, we rejoice in the reality that God has come down and he has spoken to us. And all we've done is believe. So this morning we're going to observe two ways that God has spoken And then we're going to apply that text to our our hearts. So the first way God has spoken is he has spoken generally. He has spoken generally, mainly in the Old Testament. And you can see this in verse 1, long ago at many times in many ways. So Hebrews starts with a Star Wars reference. I love this book already. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Just kidding. Long ago. So it, it, it pushes you toward looking backwards We're supposed to look back in many times. Well, that word means in many portions or many books. And mainly what that means is the numerical idea that God spoke to his people lots of different times. Like it adds up. It's a big number. And he spoke in many ways, which means um, that there's a variety of ways in which God spoke to his people in the Old Testament. So if you think about the Old Testament... If you don't know anything about Genesis through uh, Malachi, here's what I'm going to tell you. God used lots of different people at lots of different times to talk to his people in lots of different ways. So there's a huge variety. There's a lot of different prophets, Elijah and Amos 
and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk, all those people, there's a lot of people coming to God's people and giving them the message of salvation. So God communicated his salvation and his good news very graciously in the Old Testament, but he did it through lots of different ways and lots of different manners. So if you think about the prophets, how did they speak? Well, they spoke through visions and parables and types and symbols and different literary genres and all that stuff. So it was just, it was a huge variety and it, it all, it was like a puzzle. The Old Testament was like a puzzle. Each prophet had a piece of the bigger puzzle, but they understood it only in segments, okay? And it wasn't um, unfair, it was just very simple and it was very clear to God's people how salvation worked. The Old Testament was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. Everybody say, whoa, that's a lot. And it writes with a huge unified message about salvation and how God's people can be saved. And so you have like Eve, Adam and Eve. Did Eve know about Jesus? Yes, she did. Genesis chapter 3, very clearly, Eve was told by God, you're going to have a son. there's going to be a son that comes from your line, and someday that son is going to crush the head of the serpent Satan. So Eve knew that there was some sort of Messiah, some sort of Savior coming, but she didn't know when and she didn't know who. You can see this with Micah. Micah knew that the Messiah, he would be born in Bethlehem, but he didn't know what the guy's name would be. He didn't know when he would come exactly. He just knew that Bethlehem would be the spot. Malachi knew that there would be a forerunner to the Messiah, but he didn't know John the Baptist. I mean, who can predict John the Baptist anyway? I mean, he, he knew there was a forerunner. He didn't know that John the Baptist was going to wear camel skins and be really weird and eat grasshoppers and honey. Didn't know that. Jonah Jonah knew that being in the belly of a whale was uncomfortable. Can I get a witness? All right, you, you could picture Jonah, third day in the belly of a whale, thinking this is somewhat uncomfortable. And when he gets spit out, he's thankful to be alive, but he didn't know that his experience in the whale would be a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So you can see like how in the Old Testament, there's a lot of good like revelation from God, but it's more general. Okay, so it's kind of like the wheels on the bus. Can I get an amen? Like the wheels on the bus. So the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. You know that? The wheels on the bus go round and round where? All through the town. Okay. And then the wipers on the bus go swish, 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 swish. You can't do that really fast. The wipers on the ghost boat go swish, swish, swish all through the town. Okay, now, my, this is my daughter Salome's book. She's two years old, almost. This is a bus with wheels, and Salome knows it. She goes around her house, she says, we are the bus, Daddy. Wheels on bus go wound and wound, right? And I'm just like, you're a genius. And she says, wheels on bus go round and round. Now, if I'm going to take Salome and I'm going to take her to the local school bus barn, and we're going to talk to a, 
a bus driver veteran who's been driving for 40 years on a bus. Okay, do they both know that the wheels on the bus go round and round? They both do. But what does the bus driver know that my daughter Salome doesn't know? The bus driver knows, I can tell you about all the jerk kids from 1989 that I kicked off my bus because they were being so disrespectful. The bus driver could also tell you, I know how to start a bus. I know all the rules about bus driving. I know about how they operate the best. I can tell you some things about the engine and the wheels, and I can tell you about the safety procedures. Do they both know that the wheel, there are wheels on a bus? Yes, but does one know with infinitely more detail what the bus is all about? That's the illustration that I want you to have in your mind when you think about verse 1 of Hebrews 1. Is in the Old Testament, God did speak to the fathers, but he did so in a more general way. We as New Testament Christians, we know with much more detail all about Jesus. And aren't you glad? So, God spoke generally in the Old Testament. And I would say today in, in our society and in our families, many, many people walk with a general knowledge of God, but they don't know the inner workings of Jesus. They don't know more about Christ. But we see God being very gracious in verse 1, speaking generally in the Old Testament. Way number two is God is speaking not only generally, but he's speaking gloriously. He is speaking gloriously through Jesus. You can see this in verse 2. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So mainly Jesus is the focus now. We're, we're going from verse 1, general, to verse 2, specific. And we're seeing that in the last days, Christ is what it's all about. Jesus is what it's all about. God is speaking mainly through Jesus. So, in the last days, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word means last in a series. So, in the last of the series of days, during the days of Messiah, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Do you think we are in the last days? Yes, we are. Church, we are in the last days. We've been in the last days ever since Christ raised from the dead and went to heaven. We have been in the last days. So in these last days, the days of Messiah, God has now spoken to us or spoken to the world by his son. And the son is Jesus, the God-man, the greatest man to ever live. 33 years of glory and light. That's what Jesus brought to this earth, Jesus, when he came, he came to fulfill all the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says, I have not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law. So Jesus came for every Old Testament command you don't understand, Jesus came to fulfill it. Amen? You should be thanking God, whether you're familiar with Leviticus or not. You should be thanking God. God, that Jesus fulfilled all of Leviticus for you. Amen? Leviticus. What is Leviticus? Well, it's a parallel book to Hebrews. If you know Hebrews, you'll get to know Leviticus. If you get to know Leviticus, you'll get to know Hebrews. What is Leviticus? 
it's where Bible reading plans go to die. <laughs> All of you are really excited about reading the Bible in a year. Yes, I'm going to do it. Okay, like Genesis will be great. Exodus will be super exciting. And then you will get to Leviticus and your Christianity will be tested. Because if you have to read another verse about the priest's ephod, you're going to go crazy. If there's another rule about what to do with goats and with your family's worship and goat's milk and all that stuff, you're like, I'm out. I don't want to be a believer anymore. Listen, here's the deal. Leviticus and all the other Old Testament fulfilled by one man, Jesus Christ. He came not to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law for you and me so that we might approach a holy God by faith. And when we do that, we believe that Jesus fulfilled all the requirements that God gave for holiness. And we believe that we are now citizens of heaven, children of God. And when we die, we go be with Jesus because Jesus has paid the penalty for all of our sins and the blessings of God and the promises of God and the glory of God now find their yes in Christ Jesus in our lives. Amen? We go from pagan to blessed. We go from darkness to light. We go from blind to sight. That's what happens when we believe in Jesus because every promise finds its yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Okay, what's, what's this all about anyway? Just yesterday, here's an illustration of what I'm talking about. Yesterday, I met with a man and his girlfriend at the Mecca, the epicenter of spiritual life on the south side, Dunkin' Donuts. And I met with them for coffee, and he has just recently gave his life to Jesus Christ. So we met for coffee there yesterday. And as I'm meeting with him, his background is he was a meth user, a drug abuser, um, incredibly hard situation. He heard about the gospel in prison at the lowest of lows, and he trusted in Christ just in recent days. And he's been to this church many, many times. And he said, and I said, just tell me your story, man. What changed? And he's like, Josh, I was on meth, doing drugs, like going crazy, doing all this stuff. And he said, you know, I've been to your church lots of times. He said, you know, like there have been sermons that you've preached where I have just wept my eyes out. And he said, and I just, I couldn't get to the place though, even though I was crying, I couldn't get to the place where I believed. And he said, so I'm in prison. He said, there's this chaplain that comes through and he's handing out Bibles. And I, I just knew God wanted me to have one of those Bibles. And so I requested one of those Bibles and the chaplain gave me one. And then the chaplain shared Jesus with me and he said, I don't know what it was about what he said, but it all clicked for me, and I put my faith in Jesus in that moment. He said, and my life has been radically changed. And then he said, the chaplain's way better than you as a preacher. Amen. <laughs> I'm like, clearly, I couldn't get the job done, clearly. And he said, he said, Josh, honestly, he's like, this is the clearest my mind has ever been in my life. He said, I have joy in my heart that I never had before. And his girlfriend was right next to him, and she said, amen. I've never seen this guy so changed. 
And then he finished by saying, he's like, man, my back even feels better. <laughs> I'm like, are you being healed by Jesus? He's like, I think kind of. He's like, but I'm still hurting. Can you help me with that? I'm like, no, nah, dude, I don't do that. I don't do that. We're not a healing and wheeling and dealing and healing church, you know. And he said, I said, but dude, think about what God's doing. God has made you new. He's forgiven your sins. He's given you a place in heaven. He's given you a new start in life. And now he's giving joy to your heart and clarity to your mind. What is that all about? That's about God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. Christianity is Jesus and Jesus is Christianity. Amen? It's not religion, it's not church, it's not all that stuff. Jesus is Christianity. The closer you get to him, the closer you get to God. The further away you get from him, the further away you get from God. How do I know that? Because he is God. And you get close to Jesus and things will start happening in your life. Just like this man we met with yesterday at Dunkin' Donuts. So Jesus is Christianity. Christianity is Jesus. And it says the Father appointed him, Jesus, as heir of all things, through whom he created the world. So the God the Father is appointing Jesus as heir of all things. Jesus' death and resurrection was a revealer that he is the heir of God. He's the heir of all things. Well, what, is, what does it mean to be an heir anyway? An heir is to be the recipient of set-aside possessions, and you get that stuff when it's given to you. Okay, so John MacArthur said this. He said, if Jesus is the Son of God then he is the heir of all that God possesses. So basically what we're saying this morning is that God is speaking to us very specifically through Jesus, and in Jesus, he is actually the heir of all things that God has created and all that God is. So if you believe in Christ, you are friends with a really good and powerful person, the heir of heaven. When you get to heaven, you'll be like, I know him, I know him. The heir, the one that's exalted in the greatest position, I know that guy. It's going to be great. Psalm 2, verses 6 through 8 says this. God talks about his heir. And he says, as for me, I have set, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son." Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make your, the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. That is a psalm written many, many years before Jesus, but it is a psalm that is pointing to the reality that Jesus is the heir of the Father. Colossians 1.16 says it this way, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Peter, in, in his sermon in Acts 2, he finishes up the message by saying, Let all the house of Israel know for sure that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, the one you crucified. So when we look at Jesus, we see not only our Savior, but we see that he is the heir of all 
things. Now, you want to know the crazy and beautiful part of the gospel? The beauty of the gospel is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a co-heir with Christ. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. So, as we close the message here, I want to just share another illustrative point. If you got an inheritance from me, if you were my son and daughter, and you got an inheritance, and I pass away and I leave something for you, you won't get much. I want to show you how little you will actually receive if you are my son and daughter. Okay? If you got an inheritance from the Daggetts, from Josh and Danielle, you would be gifted 0.26 acres. But here's some hope. It's 0.26 acres with an unpaid house on it. There you go. You're welcome. You will get two cars. Be amazed. You will get a 2009 Honda Odyssey. Alongside of that inheritance gift, you will get a 2005 red, recently wrecked Mazda 6. Alongside of that, it, it just keeps getting better. I feel like Bob Barker up here just keeps getting better. You will also receive some petty cash and some gift cards to Dairy Queen. Yes. You're welcome, Randy. Here's the point. Josh and Danielle Daggett don't own much of anything. We don't own much of anything. Jesus owns all things. If you believe in Jesus with simple, saving faith, you are an heir, a co-heir of God with Christ. Your sins are forgiven, your place is in heaven, your right relationship with God is there, and in the coming age, the new heavens and the new earth, which we are all looking forward to, you will rule and reign with Christ. God is speaking. Do you hear him this morning? He loves you. He has spoken. He has sent his son. And so as we close, he's gloriously speaking. I hope he's speaking to you this morning. I hope that Jesus is making a beeline into your heart and mind. Because if you know Jesus, you got everything you need. Amen? you got everything you need. If you have Christ and love for him and love for others, you have everything you could ever want. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. And so as we find ourselves here this morning at, at the beginning of 2020, I want you to hear God above the noise of this world. Hear him, see Jesus, and embrace him in your own life. Let's, uh, let's close our time together. Let's close our eyes.
Lord, we love you, and God, we just are so thankful that you have spoken. Where would we be without you speaking to us, God? We'd be lost in our sins. We'd be chasing after the world. We'd be doing all the stuff that doesn't matter, running after all the things that don't matter, God. And that was, that was my story before I became a Christian. That's many people's story. But you spoke. You intervened. You came down. You sent your son And Lord, now you are speaking to us this morning through him. And so Jesus, I pray that you would speak to every believer in here, and I pray that you would give every single Christian joy in their heart. Enjoyment of Jesus. Knowledge of Jesus. Maybe there's, Jesus, you're speaking to some Christians this morning very specifically about a very specific issue, Lord, that they're dealing with. Jesus, you're going to carry people. You carried us last year. You're going to carry us again this year. Give us faith to believe that we are co-heirs with the King. Lord, I pray for any in this gym that may not know Jesus. They might be maybe hearing your voice for the very first time. Lord, help them to know that they can't earn forgiveness. They can't earn salvation. Salvation is a gift, freely given, freely received. Lord, may you work in the hearts of people this morning to believe that Jesus died for them, rose again for them. Lord, may you continue just to work in our lives through this series, through Hebrews. Lord, we really, really look forward to all the truth that we're going to glean. And God, we want to change and enjoy you more. So God, do your work through your spirit. In Jesus' name.